Hello dear friends, welcome to Spirit Reports of Life After Life by Alan Kardec. I'm not sure that the system is actually working. Um, anyway, <clears throat> we're going to continue. Thank you so much for joining us for this amazing study of Spirit Reports of Life After Life. We're basing our study on Alan Kardec's Heaven and Hell book. In the second half of Heaven and Hell, we are being gifted different spirits who came back and reported to us of their experiences on the spirit side. What is so beautiful about these accounts is, is that they are teaching. First of all, they came before us. So it is our responsibility to listen to their reports for us to learn of how to conduct ourselves today in this lifetime, in this reincarnation, so that we will plant positive, nourishing seeds into our garden of eternity. And then there is spirits like the category of suicide spirits or the category of repentant or unhappy spirits who teach us of how to avoid pitfalls, of how to do it better. So we have been studying suicides in the last few weeks and tonight is our, first, our last case um, of a suicidal spirit. And before we begin, I want to say hello to this beautiful community. It is a pleasure to have you listen. Tony, so nice to see you. Thank you for joining, dear friend. Thank you so much. And there is uh, Carol Cohere. Thank you, Carol. It's a pleasure to see you again, dear friend. Carol and I, we are doing a study on Life Goes On every um, Saturday at 10.30, that is Pacific Standard Time, which is 10, 11, 12, 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. So dear friends, please join us. It is an incredible book and so much more to learn. It is also about life after life. And of course, every night on Cardiac Radio, we are being gifted by Dr. Vanessa Anceloni herself of the study of a memoirs of a suicide, which gives us an in-depth and very, very clear and detailed account of spirits who have committed or humans who have committed suicide and what happens afterwards, all the ramification, all the details. It is an unprecedented study and a wonderful book. It is, as Vanessa said, a book of hope. So let us join and um, learn. So dear friends, oh, there's also um, Teresa Castro, dear friend. Thank you for joining and Renata Casadei. And then there is also Gilda and Noah Brazil, dear friends. So lovely to have you all. So let us begin with a brief prayer so that we can tune in, tune in and open up our hearts and minds connecting with God, divine providence, and our guide and model, Jesus Christ. It is with so much gratitude that we are studying these cases, that we're opening ourselves up to the lessons, to the immortal lessons 
that are bequeathed to us by the spirits who came before us, which allow us to transform our lives from the, in the depth so that we choose seeds that will allow us to reap a harvest that is positive, loving, kind, and nourishing. It is planting the seeds that we have free will in. It is, however, the harvest that is compulsory. So let us be mindful about which seeds to pick every breath of the way, every thought that we emit. We're praying for our hearts and minds to be harmonized as a result of the studies so we not only understand the immortal lessons, but also have the courage and determination to practice them in our daily lives. We're asking humbly for permission to start tonight's study session, and so be it. Dear friends, thank you so much for joining. Sol, dear friend, nice to see you. Thanks for joining. So let us begin now. So our last case tonight is Antoine Bell. We'll call him Mr. Bell. So Mr. Bell is a suicide as well. It is a rather long and complicated case, so we decided to summarize it and then dip into it so as to not get ourselves lost in his life stories, we want to say. So Mr. Bell um, was an employee, a cashier for a bank, and he committed suicide in February of 1865, which is the incarnation that um, is being described in heaven and hell. However, before that incarnation, he was obviously incarnated, and during that previous incarnation, he was in love with a girl. And this girl, however, married a different man, a man who was wealthier than he was, wealthier than Mr. Bell. His name was not Mr. Bell in that previous incarnation, obviously, but he, did not get married to this lady and his heart broke and he wanted to not allow this girl to have this man and decided to kill this husband-to-be and afterwards commit suicide. So he did, he killed this other man, did not commit suicide, but during that lifetime he was hanged for the crime he committed. Now he discarnates as a result of being hanged and he goes into the spirit world. In the spirit world, he's being followed by the man he killed. However, our Mr. Bell, not by the name of Mr. Bell yet, repents. He feels strong repentance. Now let us see what um, repentance does. What is repentance? Why do we repent and what is the consequence of repentance? And where do we repent? So first of all, when we go to the Spirit's book and it's in question 990, the Spirits on High illuminate our thinking and they teach us that repentance can happen both in the Spirit life as well as during our incarnation, in our different incarnations. So repentance can happen anytime. 
So then what is the consequence of repentance? And for that, we're going to go to question 991 in the Spirits book. Alan Kardec was wondering about that. And he asks, what is the consequence? And the answer is, the Spirit's desire for a new incarnation in order to purify itself. It comprehends the imperfections that have kept it from being happy and it aspires to a new existence in which it can expiate its wrongs. So repentance during the life after life, during the spirit state, often leads to the desire, first of all, to recognize the imperfections that we have the crimes that we might have committed, and then consequently the desire to go back to a new incarnation. So repentance is a very important tool. It's the first step to our recuperation, and we will go into that later, which we also find in heaven and hell. It is the first step. It is an opening of our hearts. It's a softening. It is a recognizing that we've done wrong. When we are in the spirits, spirit world, we are like a hiker who has reached a mountain top, and we have the ability to see more of the consequences of our actions, which of course always result from our thinking. And as a result of that, we can recognize that we need to undo our past wrongs and this is what our friend mr bell did in the life his spirit life before the incarnation that is being discussed in heaven and hell so as a, re a result of his strong repentance and incessant prayers during that life after life he was actually able to release the spirit of the guy he killed in the previous incarnation. He successfully got rid of him. And that's what happens when we align ourselves with the higher spirit world. And when the spirits who follow us see that we truly do feel sorry for what we've done. We truly recognize that it was the wrong step. So now Mr. Bell reincarnates, and now we're looking at the lifetime that the book is picking out. So now we're going to page 425 in the spirits, in, the, in heaven and hell, on top of the page, and we are, is it four, 425? Yes. Okay, it's actually, yeah, 425 on top of the page, if you like to read along. Let me see, there is Rihanna. Oh, hi, dear friend. I want to know what time it is in South Africa. This is truly an intercontinental classroom, isn't it? We meet from all over the world, thanks to Cardiac Radio, nourishing our souls always, and thanks to this beautiful modern technology, thanks to Facebook and all the other platforms that we can connect this way. It is beautiful. Just imagine a few years ago, this would have not been possible. So thank God for allowing us to tap into each other that way and so easily and almost free of charge. It is a blessing, isn't it? So and then there is um, Gabriel Inacio, friend. Thank you for joining. 
So let us go back to Mr. Bell. So then he says, I began my latest existence, which is the one that we're looking at, which I lived peacefully and meekly. He was a banker, a banking cashier, and he had a large family. So he worked in the bank and he was a family man. man. I had a vague intuition of my innate weakness during that incarnation, as well as my former wrongs, which remained in my memory in a latent state. He felt um, during that lifetime, he felt the presence of a spirit. Um, he didn't really call it that way, but it impacted him to a point that he was dysfunctional when he was with his family and his family was very worried and didn't really recognize of what's going on with him. But he was still nevertheless able to carry through his banking duty. So that's why he says he, he had a vague intuition of his innate weaknesses as well as his former wrongs he had committed, which remained in his memory in a latent state. An obsessing and vengeful spirit, however, who was none other than my victim's father. Now, isn't that interesting, friends? So he was able to release the actual victim, the guy he killed, but the father of that victim, of the guy he killed, had not forgiven him and followed him into the new incarnation. This is how wide the circle goes when we commit crimes. So this is really interesting and hopefully um, a lesson that we're learning. So the victim's father had followed him into this incarnation and became his obsessor. He easily took a hold of me and made me relive in my heart like a magic mirror, the memoirs of the past. Alternately influenced by him and my protecting guide, and let's pause for a, for a moment. So Mr. Bell became obsessed by the victim's father, but at the same time, of course, we always, always have our spirit guides. So he was, he was cognizant of the fact that he had two influences. So alternately, influenced by this obsessor and my protecting guide, I was both poisoner and the family ma'am who was earning a living in support of my children. So as a result of his spirit guide, he was still able to fulfill his duties as a family father, as the head of a family. But at the same time, he was under the influence of the father of his victim. Very interesting, a lot to learn for us, right? In the clutches of that obsessive demon, I was pushed to commit suicide. Aha. So the reason why he committed suicide in this lifetime was because he was obsessed. I am very guilty, Mr. Bell says, it is true, but less so than if I had decided by my free will alone to commit suicide. Suicides of my category who are too weak to resist such spirit obsessors are less guilty and punished less than those who abandon life solely through their own will. So Mr. Bell was obsessed, he committed suicide. And what we're learning is, is that when we commit suicide as a result of an obsession, we're less guilty than if we commit suicide out of our 100% out of our own free will. Of course, we always have free will and he is guilty too because he allowed it. He A, allowed the obsession, 
and B then succumbed out of his own free will ultimately to commit suicide. So when we go to the spirits book, Alan Kardec was wondering about the same thing. Is, are there mitigating circumstances when we're being pushed to suicide? Sure enough, question 946, he also received an answer. And this confirms what we're reading here in heaven and hell. And that's why we're bringing it. And there's actually an additional aspect to it. So Alan Kardec asked, what happens? Are we still guilty if we're being pushed to suicide? So the, the question is, will those who have driven an unhappy person to commit suicide suffer the consequences of their actions? So the one who pushes the obsessor, the father of the victim, the man he, who he killed, will he have to live the consequences of having pushed Mr. Bell to suicide? And others, of course. And the answer is unfortunate beings, exclamation mark. They will have to answer for it as for a murder. So those who push others to suicide are also guilty. And they are guilty to the tune of having to undo the wrongs of a murder. Now that is a pretty strong wrong because we know that we do not have the right to kill. We do not have the right to take any life and to take to help to precipitate to push someone to take their own lives makes us guilty. But it also, of course, allows the spirit who goes along with this obsession with this programming to be guilty also. So this is something that we haven't learned so far. And this is really important for us to understand. For that, we want to go to thought and life. Because why is it possible, we're asking, that a spirit can push another one, a spirit, a discarnate, can push an incarnate to take their lives? Let us look. Thought and life, beautiful book, very important study. We love it dearly and we love to refer to it because it gives us so many answers and so much clarity. And there is a chapter that Emmanuel dedicates to obsession, which helps us to understand why we're always responsible for our own actions and how obsession can actually push us to do stuff that under normal circumstances we wouldn't even fathom doing. So which one is it? It's chapter 27, page 99. For those of you who have the book, page 99. Emmanuel helps us to understand first and foremost what obsession is. So what is obsession? Obsession, according to Emmanuel, is the inner tug of war between lower forces as they interact with one another. So it is a pulling, it is a pulling, a tug of war from lower forces. He further on, uh, he continues to say, through the principle of repetition, through the principle of repetition, a mind reaches its objective by projecting to the mind it wants to control. So an obsessor repetitively, repetitively, repetitively reaches, projects pictures, 
into the mind it wants to obsess. It starts with images. So the obsessor sends images to the mind of the incarnate it wants to obsess. Right now we're just going from discarnate to incarnate. There's also other obsessions, of course. They, they go in from incarnate to incarnate, and we can also from discarnates to discarnates. So it goes in all directions, and also from incarnates to discarnates. But right now we're talking about the scenario of discarnate to incarnate because that's what Mr. the Mr. Bell case um, is all about. So it's continuous images being sent. Then what happens? If the receiving mind is in attunement, attunement is very important, with the one seeking to control it, with the obsessor, an active circuit is then formed. Bing! The magnet clips together. So here is how our free will kicks in. Since obsession and also, of course, mediumship is attunement, is regarded as attunement, we have a choice. We have a choice where we dwell in through as a result of our thinking, of our thoughts and our feelings. So Mr. Bell was in attunement with this obsessor through probably his guilt and negativity. There was an openness. And so then this obsessor sent these images, successfully connected with Mr. Bell, and that's when the circuit was closed. Later on, words and actions become a part of the process to consolidate the exchange. So the first thing is repetitive images. And then when there is an attunement, which is necessary for the obsession to actually click into place, so to speak, then the words and the actions follow. And in this case, suicide. Let's see what else he says. Um, very important. Obsessions, Emmanuel teaches us, are therefore never one-sided. You see? Because the obsessor sends these images, but due to the law of the mental field, the law of attraction and attunement, Mr. Bell was open and allowed it. So now we have two parties that are equally responsible. And that also explains to us why, when this suicide happened, not only Mr. Bell is liable, but also the obsessor. All such situations are a process of reciprocal interchange. And the longer and steadier the lower images are entertained between two spirits, the stronger the obsession. So here Emmanuel is helping us completely and utterly to understand why both obsessor and the one who commits the crime, namely the suicide, or it could be a murder, it could be anything that we do as a result of obsession, both parties are responsible because both parties have free will and have choices, always. We're never the victims of anyone or any situation. We always have a choice. It is important, the English language has a tendency to um, build in a victimhood into the language. What I mean by that is it's like, so often people said, oh, he or she made me feel this or that. Or um, you hurt my feelings. Those expressions are really expressions of victim perpetrator. 
it supports the model of victim and perpetrator. Because when I say you made me feel sad, then I'm pointing my finger at you, which means three fingers are pointing at myself, but it completely eradicates the option that I have free will, I have a choice. If you say something, I choose to feel hurt. It is not only your fault that you hurt my feelings and I'm wonderful, I'm smelling at the beautiful rose who can't do wrong. No, I choose to feel hurt. It is always both sides. It's like an obsession. It's there is no victim and there is no perpetrator. So you can't make me feel anything unless I choose to feel it. And you can't hurt my feelings unless I choose to feel hurt. But then it's my choice, it's my free will. All right, let us continue. So Emmanuel helped us to understand <clears throat> why <clears throat> both parties are responsible. <clears throat> There's another situation in Action and Reaction by Andre Louise, page 105, where we are being educated by the, um, how's it called, by organizations maintained by criminal intelligences in the spirit world. Yeah. First of all, we need to know that criminal <clears throat> intelligences, criminals can be very, very intelligent and <clears throat> they are also very organized. So we need to keep that in mind. So they are teaching us here of how obsession works, how they use obsession as a tool. It's further very, very interesting to learn about it. So he says, so what they learned in the School of Avengers is, which is that organized schools of criminal minds, besides our ordinary immediate desires at every phase of life, we all possess a central desire or basic theme in our innermost interests. And that's where it starts, the law of the mental field. So our central desires or basic themes is where we do have our mind dwell on. Repetitive, repetitive. That is our, that's what creates our affinity. And therefore, besides the normal thoughts that bind us to our daily routines, we more frequently emit the thoughts that originate in the central desire that characterizes us. So if I like to drink and I'm constantly thinking, oh, is it five o'clock now and I want to go to the bar and drink and I can't wait, you know, to get through my day because I'm already dreaming of the scotch tonight. That is my mental field. That is my central desire. It's just one example. We can pick any example. These thoughts eventually comprise the dominant reflection of our personality. Right? We can imagine this. This makes it easy to perceive anyone's nature on any plane just by analyzing their occupations and places of preference. So this is the, let's keep in mind, this is the perspective of the criminal minds trying to study us to see how they can push us to do the wrong. Okay, it's very interesting. So this is where our responsibility lies, to really be mindful of what we're, where our thoughts go during the day. What is our predominant thought pattern? And that would be a therapeutic question for us that we could take into the week to come to start observing our own minds. Where do I predominantly dwell on during the week? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it um, 
drug use? Is it wanting to go shopping? Or am I listening to cardiac radio every free minute? Do I pray on my walks in the morning and in the evening? Do I um, send good thoughts to the politicians? You see, we're setting the tone. And through the law of attunement, those are the spirits we attract. So let us learn from the, those more evil inclined minds and how they look at us, all right? So now we have our mental field defined. They define our mental field. Thus cruelty, they say, is the reflection of the criminal. Covetness, the reflection of the miser. Defamation, the reflection of the slanderer. Sarcasm, the reflection of the cynic. And anger, the reflection of the disturbed person. Just as moral elevation is the reflection of the saint, right? So out of our thinking comes our action, our words and our actions. Once we discover, they say, these criminal minds, once we discover the reflection of the individual we want to rectify or punish, it is very simple to overwhelm the person with unceasing stimuli. That is that those pictures, the repetitive pictures that Emmanuel talks about. There was reinforcing the impulses and images already in the person's mind and creating new ones to superimpose over the old ones, thereby continually feeding his mental fixation. So if I'm obsessing over drinking in the evening and it's just that I want to drink in the evening because that is, you know, I'm setting myself boundaries and I can't wait to go and open my bottle of scotch, right? So then these evil spirits, they're observing that and they're seeing, oh, there is an opening here. She's, and then they over, overwhelm me with more images. And now all of a sudden I find myself already drinking in the afternoon and the next step is in the morning, for example, just to pick an example, right friends? So it is important for us to be mindful of that, that we are being observed, not just by good spirits, but it depends also by the less evolved spirits. And that depends on our mental field. We just saw how they operate. They say it's what we have already in our minds and then they continue feed more mental fixations into it. Now this is what happened to Mr. Bell. So he committed a crime in a previous incarnation. He killed a man. He was able to um, convinced that spirit during his life, during his time in the spirit world, that he felt repentant and he repented and he prayed, but then the father came back and the affinity was formed and he pushed him with those repetitive images to commit a suicide. So let us continue, friends. Let us see what else we can find. Okay, it's interesting, isn't it? So much to learn. Wow, there's so much to learn. So um, So then he continues to say, um, to the medium's guide, the following question is being asked. Can an obsessive spirit actually drive someone to commit suicide? And we already know the answer because we just looked at it more deeply. Certainly the answer is because obsession, obsession which in and of itself is a kind of trial, can assume all forms. However, this in no, is no excuse. People always have their free will and consequently can yield to or resist the suggestions to which they are exposed. 
Now the suggestions are always start on the mental field and as Emmanuel told us, showed us, it starts with pictures, with images, and then later on uh, words and actions are being added. And of course, suggestion is an everyday occurrence. It happens when we open the internet and we start reading articles, we're being suggested to, ideas. When we watch TV, the commercials constantly suggesting to us what we should be buying. Again, back on the internet, when we look only at one item, let's say on Amazon, have you noticed that this item keeps popping up wherever we go? All of a sudden, it's everywhere on every page we, we're opening up, including Facebook. That item keeps popping up either on the side or in the middle of the page, telling us, suggesting, come on, remember you looked at me, buy me, buy me, buy me. And it's like this drip irrigation, right? So there's constant suggestion. And of course, when we go into groups or wherever we go, we're in the mental field of others. Other thoughts always influence us. And man, it teaches us that in thought and life as well. So we're always under the influence of other incarnates and discarnate minds. And of course, the reverse is true too. We need to be aware of the fact that we also influence. So we have a lot of responsibility uh, with our thinking. And we need to be aware of that, that we have that, we owe that to ourselves and everyone else who is surrounding us. Very important. And we have free will. We can always change. We learn also in thought and life that the will is the so-called CEO of our minds, of our being, because without, without our will, nothing will happen. If my will doesn't tell me to get up in the morning, my willpower at 6 a.m. to take a walk and read a book, an edifying book, it won't happen. So nothing happens without our will. And so the will needs to be educated, Emmanuel teaches us. So we have free will and we always have a choice very important. So um, when they yield, it is always to their own free will. Furthermore, the spirit is right in saying that those who commit evil instigated by someone else, like Mr. Bell, are less reprehensible and punished less than when they intentionally commit it. They are nonetheless not innocent of blame since the moment they allowed themselves to be drawn off the moral path occurred because the good had not yet taken hold in their hearts. So hopefully, dear friends, hopefully our minds are dwelling on the good, always seeing the good in others, practicing charity. Prayer is a form of charity. Praying for the suicide cases as well as we're learning from memoirs of a suicide. Praying for everyone. Praying for our so-called enemies. Praying and seeing the good in all. Charity, as it is defined as benevolence towards all, goodwill towards all, indulgence towards other people's imperfections, and always forgiving the trespasses committed by others. We need to remember that we are all guilty of previous offenses. So not to forgive and always seeing the bad in others will not help us. Our affiliations will be negative. So we have free will and we practice it. We like to practice it. Doing the good always, right friends? So let us continue. Let us wrap up our Mr. Bell here. Let's see. Um, 
Yes. So now um, the next question is being asked. How is it that even though prayer and repentance had freed Mr. Bell from the tormenting side of his victim, he could still be chased by his vengeful obsessor during his latest incarnation? And we wonder too, right friends? We wondering how can it be that in the spirit life he was able to get rid of the actual person he, he murdered and yet the father was capable of obsessing him. Let us see why that happened. Because to jog our memory, Mr. Bell was repenting and praying in this life between lives. And that's how he was able to convince um, his victim to not follow him any longer. So let's see why he still had an obsessor, why that was still possible. Here's the answer. As you well know, Repentance is only the first step towards rehabilitation and is not therefore sufficient to free the guilty spirit of all its punishment. Now, let us remember, it is never punishment because we're not being punished. Divine providence always only supports us. However, there is the law of cause and effect and we have free will. So as a result of the law of cause and effect, it is an effect. The so-called punishment is steeped in our own choices. It's the harvest of the seeds we planted in previous existences or in this lifetime before this moment. So again, it is, it is based on our own choices, on our own free will. We put the seeds in the, in the ground. So we're not victims and we're not being punished by some outside God who's saying, oh, sunshine, you have done bad. No. That's not how it works. It is a result of the law of cause and effect. So, but what's important here is, is repentance is only the first step towards rehabilitation. We are on our way from lifetime to lifetime to um, rehabilitate ourselves, to undo past wrongs, to become better spirits, to work on our moral transformation. That's all part of the rehabilitation. And the rehabilitation has three steps, and we'll go there in a minute. But repentance is the first one. God is not content with mere promises. Actions are required to prove the commitment to return to the upright path. So it is not enough to just repent. Now let us see, what is actually repentance? What is the consequence of repentance? For that, we go to, again, to the Spirit's book. And it is 991, question 991. Did we already do that? Let's just look. No, we didn't. Um, <clears throat> yes, we did. So we will say it again. The consequence of repentance that Mr. Bell practiced is the spirit's desire for a new incarnation in order to purify itself. So the consequence of repenting, repenting, having done a lot of repentance, which opens the heart, recognizing we've done wrong, feeling sorry for what we've done, wanting to apologize. That's when we want a new incarnation to purify ourselves, which is the action that is being mentioned in here in, in our chapter. It comprehends the imperfections that the spirit has kept it from being happy and it aspires to a new existence in which it can expiate its wrongs. So the first step is repentance. Now let us go to expiation, 998 in the Spirit's book. 
Ah, don't be loved, the Spirit's book. It helps us and answers all those questions that we've always wondered about. And every time we're not clear, we take the Spirit's book and we find the answer. It is just magical. Aren't we grateful to Spiritism, Alan Kardec, and all the mediums and the spirits who diligently put this all together for us so we can work on our inner transformation more effectively and efficiently. 998, is expiation accomplished in the corporeal state or in the spirit state? Now we know repentance can happen either in the spirit state or in the corporeal state. But now we're wondering, how about expiation? And the answer is, expiation is accomplished in the corporeal state. And in the spirit life, through the mental sufferings arising from its state of imperfection. So expiation in in the in the material life in in an incarnation is expressed through the trials the spirit must undergo so if in this lifetime i'm absolutely poor it is most likely an expiation of another lifetime where i misused my financial means probably for selfish reasons so that would be just one example and then the expiation in the spirit life is mental suffering but it has to, we have, it's through the lifetimes, through the incarnations, where we actually put the lessons we've learned into action and where the rubber meets the road. Where we actually, as a result of the forgetfulness, hopefully remember that we are, that we have to fulfill the resolutions we made in the spirit life. So then question 999. Is sincere repentance during is sincere repentance during life sufficient to extinguish a spirit's wrongs and enable it to merit God's grace? Right? So our spirit, Mr. Bell, repented. He still found an obsessor. And now the question is, is that enough? And the answer is repentance helps to improve the spirit, but the past must be expiated nevertheless, and that is most effectively done in a new lifetime. Now, let us go back to um, let us go back to our case here. Let's see. Um, oh yeah, one more thing. Sorry, guys. Um, there's so much. Um, question a thousand. There's there's one more really important aspect I wanted to bring because um, it will help us. So we know repentance happens both in the spirit state, it's the first step, but we need to put our lessons into action through a lifetime, through expiation. So then here we learn in the, in the small print of question 1000, evil can only be atoned for by means of the good and reparation does not have any merit if it does not strike human beings in the pride or their material interests. And that we practice in a lifetime, in a most effective way, working on our selfishness and pride, doing the good, always focusing on doing the good. So there are three steps to our path of recuperation, of which repentance is the first one. Repentance um, is, it softens the rigors of expiation. It 
it softens the heart, it awakens hope in us and prepares the way for our rehabilitation. It is the first step of our regeneration. And our regeneration, the three steps of our regeneration, when they're complete, and of course we're going over it and over it because we always commit new crimes, so to speak, right? We're not perfect yet. Um, helps us erase the remnants of our wrong. So the three steps of regeneration help us to erase the remnants of the wrongs we've committed, of which repentance is the first one, which softens the heart, it softens the rigors, it opens us to hope. And we know that hope is divine spark, a stimulus um, of progress. So when we have hope, we're opening up for the new, for progress, for the next steps we want to take. We want to take, we need to take. So then what is the second step? The second step is now expiation. That is very often when the spirit says, okay, now I want to put my lessons into practice. I'm ready to go back into the flesh and see that I actually can prove to myself and everyone else that I have improved. I'm a better person. So that is when we experience physical and mental sufferings in lifetimes. And there are either in this lifetime, in the current lifetime, or in the next lifetime. And they manifest through, let's for example, the trial of poverty, or we have a difficult husband or a difficult wife, which is a form of expiation, which we talked about earlier, right, Carol, is so important to realize what actually love is true love is and what marriage stands for we won't go there right now but suffice it to say that a difficult relationship is not coming out of nowhere we have to know that it is a form of expiation and if we frame it the right way we approach it very differently compared to living the hollow dream of cinderella <laughs> which is a setup for this disappointment and then, for example, if we're born um, with a mental um, illness or, you know, all challenges are trials and those are um, expiations and they're the seeds we harvest from previous incarnation. And what is the third level, the third step of our regeneration? That's reparation. What is reparation? Reparation is righting a wrong. Reparation is doing what we have failed to do in the past or a previous incarnation. Reparation is fulfilling duties that we have, that we neglected. Reparation is um, to do the good. And that is, reparation can be to stay in a marriage that's difficult. Because we know that that's where our regeneration lies because it is potentially based on duties we didn't fulfill in a previous incarnation. Emmanuel uh, defines duties as a series of activities in the arena of goodness. So our duties are doing the good. And it is in chapter 10 of Thought and Life where Emmanuel teaches us something really important, which is really summarizes our regeneration the three steps of our regeneration which are repentance expiation and reparation we find that by the way in the spirit in heaven and hell on page 122 if you want to read 
the whole thing. We're just picking up the highlights. So what does Emmanuel say to us? And that's how we're wrapping up tonight of how we can best fulfill our regeneration in this lifetime today, in this very moment. He says, to undo the handcuffs of evil that we have forged against our own souls in previous lives, in the past, we must seek goodness. We must feel goodness. We must visualize goodness. And we must mold goodness with all the resources we can muster. All the resources we can muster. That means we're busy. We're so busy doing the good. We won't have time for anything else. Just focusing on being charitable. Prayer, benevolence, indulgence and forgiveness dear friends let us close our eyes in gratitude to this immense case that we studied tonight that taught us so many facets about our own being the mechanisms of regeneration the mechanisms of incarnation reincarnation of how to best fulfill our regeneration by always doing the good Thank you, dear Alan Kardec, and thank you to the mediums and the spirits, Mr. Bell, for gifting us with this, these immortal lessons, helping us to understand a <clears throat> symptom, an occurrence <clears throat> in today's life, namely suicide, that is so prevalent, and hopefully reminding ourselves to help all spirits who are in need through prayer always seeing the good in others and seeing looking out where we can be of assistance we're praying for protection for all those who are suffering and in need and we're also praying for all those who seem to have everything from power financial means beauty intelligence and time to the group we include ourselves in to remember to always share of our gifts and our resources. And with this and so much gratitude for tonight's lesson, we close our study session and so be it. Thank you dear friends for joining and thank you for learning alongside. It is so much more fun to be in a group, a like-minded group where we can harmonize <clears throat> our thinking and support each other in our inner transformation. Rihanna, it was wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much, our friends. And so God willing, we will meet again next week, same time, to continue our study of life after life in, uh, of Heaven and Hell by Alan Kardec. God bless you, friends. Good night.